Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Hey, welcome to Bergen Park. We're glad you're here today. Uh, you know, last week we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount. What we do at Bergen Park Church, we try to walk through books of the Bible, and then we jump for a period of time into a practice. Today we're jumping into a practice called prayer. Last week, we began with the the Lord's Prayer, and one of the things I challenge you guys to do is if prayer isn't really a part of your life, the easiest way to step in is to do what Jesus said to do, which he said, hey, pray like this, which means memorize the Lord's Prayer. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, and you can even go trespasses if you need to, but forgive us our debts. <laughs> you guys didn't laugh. It's all right. <laughs> as, as, as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, what I try to do in my own prayer life is in the morning, I need to get into a psalm. You guys know, I, some of you know, I listen to the Word of God in the morning. I go to a podcast that just reads the Bible. You can't get any easier than that. And one of the things they read is a psalm, and then I just read the psalm, and I pray that back to God. But then in the afternoon, usually around 12, I just stand up in my office or wherever I am and just say the Lord's Prayer out loud to recognize that as I approach God in this moment, He's my Father, I'm His, I'm his child, and that what He wants me to know is what Jesus is after is the reclamation of His name. That the name of God has been tarnished, and through Jesus Christ, his kingdom will come, which means that heaven is invading earth to heal things which are broken. And when heaven comes, his will gets done, and God wants to do that through us. But the reality is every day i got to realize, God, everything's a gift. My family's a gift. Life is a gift. The resources, my job is a gift. Everything is a gift from you. Thank you for my daily bread. And as I go out to the world, maybe I'd be a reflection, not of vengeance, but rather of forgiveness that I would give to others. I would lo- actually love others the way that God has loved me. And then finally, Lord, as I go about my day, I can't overcome my own temptations. But as Paul said, you know, his power is perfected when I feel weak. And so, Lord, I'm just going to acknowledge, deliver me today from all the challenges. I'm going to rely on your presence and power to get me through the day. See, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, it really begins to center yourself on who God is. He's my Father. On what Jesus has done, he's reclaiming God's name through his kingdom and his will. Who are we? We're a bunch of people that are just blessed by God and his generosity to bless others' forgiveness and then to walk in God's power to overcome the brokenness of the world. That's pretty good. That's a a good prayer. And Jesus gives that to us. And so what we're going to be doing now, and if you guys want to throw up that graphic, thank you, Bella, we're going to be walking through some of the Psalms. And the reason I'm doing this, usually we'll tackle the Psalms in the summertime, but what I've found for myself is over this last year, certainly during the pandemic, I've just realized that if you're not emotionally healthy, it's very difficult to be spiritually healthy. Jesus, you may not realize, it was emotionally healthy. He was in touch with his emotions. I know sometimes we don't like to think that way, but if you're not emotionally healthy, if you don't know how to deal with your emotions, you're not going to know how to bring those into God's presence. And the reality is your emotions are a gift from God. Now, some of us grew up in homes where emotions were not a gift from God. 
right? You grew up in a home because all of us grew up in different homes. I didn't see you in my house and you didn't see me in your house. So all of us have different backgrounds. The reality is some of us grew up in homes and our parents said, hey, don't express that here. You seem upset. Why don't you go take that someplace else and deal with that? And so emotions were suppressed. Maybe it was just about the intellect. We don't allow our emotions to be expressed in this place. And some of us grew up in that kind of place where you're used to stuffing emotions. Or when you feel something, you just kind of ignore it or maybe even push back past it. And you may just have one primary emotion. Some of us, when we feel shame, we feel angry. And when we feel uh, hurt, we feel angry. And when we feel afraid, we feel angry. We use some emotions to protect us from actually feeling. And some of us grew up in that home. And others of you grew up in the opposite home. The volume went up as quick as a conflict happened. Emotions were flying as words were flying. And the volume just continued to ratchet up. There was yelling, there was hugging, there was crying. Emotions were expressed. Now, when you get to the Psalms, emotions play the primary role. And yet they're not suppressed. And likewise, the psalmist isn't driven by his emotions. He's not controlled by them. Instead, what the psalmist learns to do is in prayer to process my emotions in the presence of God. And what we're going to do today, if you have a Bible, if you want to get your phone out, you can turn there. We're going to be in Psalm, Psalm, I always say chapter 3, Psalm 3, the third one. And in this Psalm, David is praying through his fears. And, And realize, he's got some legitimate reasons to be afraid. His life is in danger. His very identity and how he sees himself and what others are saying about him He's losing his sense of identity, and because of that, he brings his fear into God's presence, and he begins to process his fear with God so that he doesn't vent his fear towards the world or simply suppress his fears in himself, but in a healthy way allows that fear to draw him closer as a gift to God. So let's jump in. Psalm 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. And it starts off with this title, A Psalm of David When He Fled from Absalom. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many rise against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For your sake, strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you tell us to cast our cares on you because you care for us. And Lord, so often we want to be in control. Control of life, control of what we're experiencing. We want to seem strong. And yet you tell us our strength. Sometimes it it causes your grace to be opposed to us. For you pour out grace to the humble. And Father, you lift up those who are humble and contrite in heart. And so, Lord, we just, in this time that we gather, invite you to teach us, to guide us. Lord, would you take us to that place that helps us to process what we've experienced in this year, the anger, the rage, the fear, 
in your presence, not just simply to suppress or to be controlled, but to worship and to allow who we are to meet who you are. And Father, in that place, to experience the power of your presence. We love you, Father. Thank you for this chance in Jesus' name. Amen. So you'll notice in Psalm 3, he kind of gives you a setting. Some of the Psalms do that. But David wrote this Psalm, and the Psalm is really like a poem or a song. And it happens in 2 Samuel chapter 15. And here's the storyline, and it's not a good day. David is at the end of his kingdom, his reign. He's been king over Israel, and he's got a number of kids, and one of his kids is named Absalom, and Absalom hates his dad. Now, that's not completely unusual, but see, Absalom's hate and anger has gone to a whole new level. He wants his father dead. And it's not enough just to your kid to say, hey, I want you dead. It's very different when he raises up 12,000 people to then chase after you and run you out of the, the city that you've lived in, your home, your family. David is on the run with a few hundred people. His son, Absalom, whom he loves, wants him dead, and there's 12,000 people pursuing him. The reality is this is a very bad day. David has a right to be afraid, and the reality is all your emotions are gifts from God. Fear, who created fear? Fear is a response to a challenge, to a situation. It says, hey, I value my life, and I value the life of others. Therefore, I'm afraid. It's a warning set. Hey, I need to pay attention to what's going on. And God has given us these emotions as a gift. And, and in fact, a gift that draws us closer to him if we learn to take those emotions and process them in his presence. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump in and begin to walk through this passage. And first of all, we're going to see two things. David's going to identify his fear. It's important to say, hey, what am I afraid of? What's coming at me? And then second, he's going to process that fear in God's presence. So let's jump into it. Verse 1, David begins to identify the source of his fear. And he uses this word over and over again. It's the word many. Oh, Lord. And that word Lord is the personal name of God. It's Yahweh. It's capitalized in your Bible because it's God's personal name, his covenantal name. He says, O oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Now, David is facing 12,000 people who've come against him. They've run him out of his office. He's no longer standing as king. His identity is no longer in his power. Absalom, his son, hates him. And it's not just that there's a physical threat. There's also propaganda. And the propaganda is, listen, David, I, I know God's favor was on you. Brother, that day is gone. Your days reigning as king in prosperity, there is no salvation for you. Absalom and the enemies of David are chanting, God has abandoned you, God has abandoned you, and you are soon to die. On the one hand, there's a physical threat, a reality, something's coming against me. But deeper than that, there's a spiritual, there is an identity that's happening. There's a threat to who David is. Is God still with me? Because let's think of the story of David just for a minute. You know, David's father was this man named Jesse, and Jesse had some solid boys. He had some rugged kids. He had some good-looking guys. And so Samuel comes, the prophet, and says, hey, Jesse, listen, one of your boys going to be king. And Jesse's like, yeah, I knew it. I knew that was going to happen. It's going to be the firstborn because the guy's ruddy. I don't know who uses the word ruddy today, but that's how the scripture describes it. He was handsome. He was tough. He was good-looking. And Samuel takes a look at him and says, yeah, that's, that's not him. 
Now, Jesse's surprised, and yet he's got a series of boys, and he keeps bringing them in. He says, listen, how about this guy? No, that's not the one. Now, this guy, come on now, number three, he's tight. He's got it together. He's smart. Nope, that's not it. He goes down the list, and finally, Samuel's like, listen, do you got anything left? Not really. And listen, when your dad doesn't believe in you, and you're out in the fields, and, you know, shepherds were really the bottom of the rung in terms of the society. And if you, your father doesn't believe in you, you probably don't believe in yourself. And he said, hey, okay, let's bring David in. And Samuel says, okay, here's something I could work with. And from that point on, God's blessing and favor was on David's life. And he rose to prominence. In the early part of his life, he was incredibly successful. God protected him, allowed him to have wisdom in difficult situations. But see, then what happened often with us is when you start in a difficult place and you overcome, you start to say, hey, everything I have is it's mine. And instead of being grateful for what God had given David, David said, I'm going to start using it. And eventually he sees this woman, this beautiful woman, happens to be married to another man, but that didn't bother David at the time, and he just he took her. She became pregnant, and instead of being honest about what happened, that would be a good point right there to turn things David said, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to kill her husband. And from that point on, everything in David's life really started to go south. His family fell apart. His integrity, obviously, his moral authority was gone, and his kingdom began to crumble. And with that, Absalom rises up with these enemies, these, this army, this coup that's come against David, and now David's on the run. And what does he have? He's a horrible father. Do you know that Absalom killed his brother, David's son, right? The two brothers, they killed each other. And you know why? Because David's son rapes his daughter. What kind of family? Where does that happen? David's a horrible father. He's got no kingdom. He's got no reign. Nobody respects him. He's on the run with a couple hundred people in the woods. While Absalom's got 12,000. Think of that. You got a couple hundred, you got 12,000. Who's got the advantage here? He's lost his identity. He's lost his power. He's lost his family. What does he have left? David is at the bottom of life. Now, when you're at that place of terror and fear, what do you do? We're going to watch how David responds in this experience. See, in verses 3 and 4, we see how David responds. And it says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory, you are the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, verse 4, and he answered me from his holy hill. See, when fear comes into your life, what's the right response? I cried aloud. What does a child do? You don't have to teach a child how to respond in healthy ways to emotions. Do you know that? They tend to just do it. What does a child do? I'm afraid. I reach out. I cry out. I ask for help. When did you stop doing that? And why? I reach out, I cry out, and I ask for help. David is in this place of fear. And David reaches out. And see, in reaching out, what he's doing is he's cultivating faith. He's cultivating hope. See, what's the definition of faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So David's afraid, and he has this hope. What's his hope? 
he's got this hope that God will respond. God will hear his prayer. God will come near to him. God will answer. See, David cries out to God, and in crying out to God, what happens is his hope gets raised. Because, see, when you hope in something and whatever you're hoping in comes true, it leads to conviction, confidence. That when David cries out to God and, listen, God actually responds and he meets his need, what does David have now? He's got trust. Because, see, faith isn't just something you have and you have in full mass, right? It's not like you have faith in God and it's just, it grows. But see, it grows as your confidence in God grows. As you respond to God, as situations in life, fear comes in, I cry out to the Lord. And in crying out to the Lord, my faith grows because I've now got this assurance and confidence because now I've got memories. Hey, you remember how God responded when we went through that trial? When we went through grief, how God was near to us? And every time an experience comes and David cries out to the Lord, hey, reach out, cry out, cry for help, and God responds, his hope and his confidence in God continues to grow. And it leads to wisdom. And what is wisdom? It's just, it's doing the right thing in the right moment. It's not so much about knowing everything. It's about knowing how to apply what needs to happen in the moment. See, in fear, David cries out, and it leads to faith, and it leads to wisdom. The question becomes, what happens when fear, instead of being a benefit, becomes an impairment? What if instead of crying out to God, you grew up in a family that's suppressed? You don't talk about it. It leads to addiction. Sometimes addictions can be just mental. It can be thinking negatively about yourself or thinking negatively about life. Or you suppress it and you go to pornography. You go to alcohol. You go simply to working out, trying to, working as hard as you can, being successful, all of these things. Sometimes they're ways we deal with our own fears. Or instead of suppressing, we may just express, we may vent. And what begins to happen is instead of crying out, reaching out, asking for help, we're anxious. And see, fear, fear is directed towards something we can see, we know, or it's at least perceived. And fear is that kind of shot of adrenaline. Something's happening. I value my life. I value what I have. I've got to protect it. See, anxiety, anxiety is just a cloud. It's not necessarily tied to anything direct. You know that feeling. What's wrong? I, I, I don't know. What are you afraid of? What are you worried about? I'm not, I'm not sure. But see, anxiety comes because you reached out, you cried out, and no one was there. Well, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to be vulnerable again, so I'm not going to admit. And in not admitting, what begins to happen is anxiety begins to build. There's disappointment, lost dreams. And see, when someone's anxious and you're around them, what do you want to do? You want to get away. Anxious people are isolated people. Because see what happens long enough? Because when you're anxious, you don't want to be in that place. That is a miserable experience. When I'm anxious, I've got to do something, which means anxiety, when fear isn't reach out, cry out, ask for help, it becomes anxiety, and anxiety leads to control. And who are you going to control when you're anxious? Everybody else around you, your situations, your environment. And see, when you can't control enough and you can't manipulate enough, anxiety to control leads to rage. Rage has nothing to do with anger. Rage is about the terror of being afraid. 
and it's saying to yourself, I will not do it. I will not be afraid. It's taking control to that ultimate end. And we've seen that, haven't we? Politics is about fear. When you are anxious, I've got to take control. Control leads to rage, and it causes you to do things that otherwise you may not do. When we are afraid, we've got to learn to reach out, to cry out, to be honest about what's happening. And see, that's what we see David doing. David's processing his emotions. He's not venting. He's not attacking. He's taking those emotions to God. So now what we're going to do, now that we see the, what he's dealing with, on the one hand, there's a physical threat, but on the, the other side, hey, God's not with you. So how does he process that? Let's jump back in and discover what he does. Look at verse 3. And he says, first of all, God, you are a shield around me. Now, if God is a shield, that means that things aren't going well. Because you don't need a shield on a good day. You need a shield on a bad day. A shield doesn't keep bad things from happening. A shield protects you when bad things are happening. And this isn't just a simple shield that's small. Instead, it's a shield around me. This is one of those doors you see in the movies, right? That they line up, I guess in Vikings and those kind of movies, they line them up alongside and they actually kind of wrap around and they protect you and they keep the most vital part of you, which is your vital organs, from being attacked. And so when it comes to David, he's saying, God, listen, I'm afraid people are coming against me. My identity as king, as father, my integrity, my moral integrity, it's all gone. And yet, you're my protector. Not my titles, not my money, not my morality. God, you're my protector. And what is it that God's protecting? See, if he's a shield about me, there's something he's protecting. And we see that in that next verse, in verses is. Uh, Verses 3 and 4. Actually, no, let me move on. I missed that. Yeah, verse 3. But you, Lord, are a shield about me. And then he says, you are my glory. You're the lifter of my head. So if you're protecting me, what is he protecting? He's saying, listen, David, I'm protecting your glory. Now, what does glory mean? Glory in the Hebrew is this word kavod. And it means to be heavy. So today we may say something like, hey, wasn't that heavy? Or that situation had gravity. Or listen, hey, I'm afraid because this, this matters to me. Well, that comes from the root word, which is glory. And when you see the word glory in the Bible, it means that God's really heavy. He's, he matters. He's significant. And as David has lost his kingdom, right? He's lost his title. He's lost his job. He's lost his identity. He's lost his titles. LinkedIn, he's looking horrible. His family has abandoned him. He's on the run. What was his significance before this? It was wrapped up in his power. Why did he commit adultery? Why did he take another woman who wasn't his wife? Because, see, he was using his identity and what he had to make a name for himself. He was his own glory. He was his own significance. Now, listen, what happens when you lose your job? You lose your business. You lose your marriage. Your kids hate you. All of those things that matter in your life are not affirming you. You're not significant. David has lost it all. And as he's looking at his life, he's saying, I've got nothing. God has abandoned me. What they're saying about me is true. And yet David says, God, you're my protector. And see, what you're really protecting is the reality that you're my significance. I got it wrong. Remember, give us this day our daily bread. Where did his kingdom come from? Where did his title come from? Where did his family come from? Where did his favor and authority, it came from God. David forgot. 
Instead of seeing God as his significance, what he said is, I did it. That's the essence of pride. It's about me. When David loses all things, he has to reorient what matters. Have you ever done that? Lose a child, lose a spouse, lose a job. Something's taken from you, your security is gone, and you're like, wait a minute, who am I? What matters? And see, in God's presence, what does he do? He reaches out, he cries out, says, God, you're protecting me. What you're really protecting is the fact that you're my significance, you're my glory. My identity is found in you, not in what Absalom says, because listen, Absalom may never love you again. And so often as parents, you know, we love our kids, and when our kids don't do well, man, that's my significance. That's my identity. And the truth is you don't know how your kids are going to respond. They may never say, hey, mom, thank you, dad, thank you. But see, when you put your significance in something that can be taken from you, your life is shaken. When we build our life on the rock, Jesus said, hey, don't build your life on the sand, build it on the rock. It's saying, make God your significance. What's significant about me is that God is my protector. God is my significance. He is my father. I am his child. That's what makes me secure in the world. Not whether I'm doing well, but that God is in control. Do you see what's happening? David's beginning to think. He's meditating. And see, when you get in the Psalms, the essence of the Psalms is really Psalm 1. Blessed is a man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Rather, what does he do? Day and night, he's thinking. He's meditating. He's going through situations and going, this, this is terrible. How do I process this? Fear comes in. Reach out. Cry out. God, ask for help. You're my protector. You're my glory. You're my significance. David is processing his thoughts in God's presence. And he's beginning to find confidence because notice, not only is God his protector and his significance, he goes on to say, you are also, verse 3, my glory and you're the one who gives me confidence. My coach would always say, hey, Freeman, get your head up. Get your eyes out on what's going on. Have some confidence. When somebody lifts up their head, that's a posture of confidence. And God is saying, David, you've lost everything. But... I'm your confidence. I'm at work in your life. This could be the moment where I am closest to you. And this is the moment in which I'm doing something in your life that otherwise could not have been done. As David cries out, he begins to find that God's protecting him. God's his significance. And see, God is giving him confidence. Now, I don't know about you, but when things are really bad and my family hates me, I don't know, that. thankfully that hadn't happened. And I've lost my job and everything's turning south. I don't feel real confident, and I definitely don't think that God would answer me. But notice where he goes. He says, hey, you're my shield, you're my lifter. And then verse 4, I cried to the Lord. And he says, he answered me from his holy hill. David had confidence that God would answer him. And I think, really? Everything's falling apart. You've got no integrity Everybody knows you're an adulterer. I mean, it's, it's been broadcast. People are talking about you. They know about Absalom. They know what happened to your daughter. Your son raped your daughter. What kind of father allows that to happen? You've destroyed your kingdom. You've lost your titles, your power, and authority. Why do you think, David, God would answer you? But you notice the language that he says. It's not because of David. He's reminded of something. He says, the Lord will answer me because of his holy hill. Now, that means Jerusalem. And, and the holy hill is the temple. It's the tabernacle. 
It's where sacrifices and worship, it's where God's presence dwelt and where men could come into the presence of God. And see, David's not in Jerusalem. Remember, like he's kicked out. He's got his guys, they're out in the woods, they're hiding. Absalom's coming after him. Everybody said, David, you have lost the favor of God. And David's like, no, 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 no. I know about the temple. I remember what happens there. God will answer me. Why? Because see, in the temple, David remembers that his sin and his brokenness, it doesn't fall on him. What does that mean? Church, hear me. It's not your identity. What you do is not who you are. This is the beauty of the gospel in Christianity. Every other religion honestly says you are what you do. Do the five pillars. Obey the laws. And maybe, maybe, maybe you're, you're going to get in. What's David doing? As he is in this place of danger, he's recognizing my sin and my brokenness, I need to confess. I need to be honest with God. When we pray, so often, I think we're trying to get it right. Just be right. What does that mean? Be honest. Reach out, cry out, ask for help. God is okay with emotion. And he's definitely okay with emotion in his presence. What, what little boy or little girl doesn't, doesn't yell, doesn't scream at some time? And certainly when they're afraid, they don't cry out to their parents. I mean, I would be really worried about that child. And yet we are the children of God. And God is saying, I want you to recognize when you come into my presence, you come boldly before a throne of grace. See, David's on the other side of the cross, right? Jesus hasn't come. He hasn't died. He hasn't risen again. The Holy Spirit's not in. And yet he has confidence that even when his life is a mess and he has blown it all and his shame, listen, it's on billboards across Jerusalem. He can boldly come before God. Why? Because his sin has fallen on the Lamb of God and he has grace to enter to God. He got that in the Old Testament church. Why do we run from God when life is broken? Because we don't know how to pray. We don't know how to reclaim the name. We don't know how to bring honor. You know how you bring honor to the name? You just admit that you need him. I love it when my boys say, Dad, I need you. They're 16 and 13, doesn't happen too often, right? I said, Dad, I'm going through this. I, you know, I, I get in their beds. I, you know, I'm, that's, that's the time I am so in tune. You know, when they get 100 on a test, like, yeah, and then I forget about it. But when my kids are hurting, they reach out, they cry out, they ask for help. You know what they can find? There's hope. Dad's there. And I'm not a good dad. Not compared to my heavenly father, David is saying, I've got confidence because God is with me. And because of the sacrifice of the lamb, my sin isn't on me, church. And it's not on you. You've got to recognize it's placed on Christ. And you are now a child of God and God longs for you to come into his presence with boldness. Is that how we're approaching God? When we're afraid, when life is broken, God, you're my protector. You're my significance. God, you're my redeemer. And then he goes on to say, and watch this, what's the results? Verse five, he says, and I laid down, I laid down and I slept. That is the place of rest. I woke again for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me. When you are in a situation of trial and you can sleep, not because things are good, but you know who is in control and you're resting in him, that's worship. Sometimes the most holy thing you can do is take a nap with God. I don't know if you've ever done that. 
but just simply say, God, I'm turning over my challenges, my trials to you. You're my sustainer, and you just rest. David is at a place of rest because you know how hard that is to get there, right? I mean, little things happen to me, and I'm up all night, and I'm thinking about them, let alone this kind of weight. But see, that's the weight of God. That's his glory. He takes us to a place of rest. My sin isn't on me. My mistakes aren't on me. God is protecting me. He is with me. He's guiding me. And and yet, verse 7, it doesn't take away our emotions. He he still says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. What is he doing? He's venting in God's presence. There are some things in life worth being angry about. And when injustice comes against you, you don't take vengeance. Jesus said, you know, instead of cursing, bless. Do not return evil with evil, but return evil with good. How are you going to do that if you're not honest with God? Because see, if you're not honest with God and you haven't experienced his protection, that he's your significance, he's your redeemer, he's the one that's giving you confidence, you're going to take it out on others. You're going to control. And in controlling people, you manipulate people to get what you want. That's not the way that God has called us to. He's honest before God. Even though God's my protector, I'm still dealing with stuff. And he vents it in God's presence. And then here comes the key verse. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. Now, that word salvation can also be translated deliverance. So let me, let, let's do a little soul searching. Just for a minute, we're going to wrap this up. Who is your Savior? Now, I know you're going to say Jesus, right? That's the Sunday school answer. We got to say that. But listen, when you lose your job, you lose your identity, you're a moral failure, your kids hate you, who's going to save you? When you're afraid, what do you run to? So you can talk all you want about I believe in Jesus, but when fear comes, your Savior is what you run to. You reach out. You cry out. Pornography working out more, simply working harder. What do you turn to? See, in life, Jesus isn't the only Savior. You've got a world of saviors out there. And they're all saying, look at me. I can solve this. That marriage issue? Yeah, just find comfort over here. Don't reach out. Don't be honest about what's going on. Because see, if you're afraid, best thing with a husband and wife, reach out, cry out, ask for help. Hey, hon, this is where I am. You know, that, that's taken me years and years and years to realize. I'm not up here teaching you what I live. This is what I'm learning. That we have to be honest before God and before men. And see, when you're honest before God and before men, you realize, you know what? My acceptance isn't based on what I've done. I'm loved for who I am. And there's a deep relationship. See, when God gives us emotions, he gives them so that we can resolve them in, in our relationships. So ask yourself, when fear comes, what are you running to? What are you saying? Save me. And what would it look like to to repent? And repentance is just saying, okay, wait a minute. These things can be good things. Money, success, those are good things, but they're horrible saviors. And what would it look like in that moment just to say, Father, listen, I don't want to run to this anymore. I I want to turn and recognize who you are. And that you're my significance, you're my hope, you're my protector, you're my deliverer. 
that's the Christian life. The Christian life is about repentance and faith. It, that's the life. It's constantly acknowledging, Lord, I'm running after the wrong things. I want to run after you. And then if you're, if you're brave enough, are you willing to admit that to another human being? See, until you do, the truth really doesn't set you free. Because, see, there's always an Absalom who will say, yeah, if they only knew, you can't be delivered. Church, do you see what it means to process your emotions before God? It means to allow him to be who he is, to reach out, to cry out, to ask for help. And as you do, hope builds, confidence builds as God responds. But we also, as a church, that's what it means to be the body of Christ is to live together in a way that we are with Jesus, we become like him, and we do what he does. Hey, let me pray for us. Father, I recognize just in life the messages that we receive. Many of us have grown up with these ideas. You just have to handle it yourself. Or maybe, Father, we stopped reaching out, crying out, and asking for help because when we did, someone wasn't there for us. Maybe we were rejected or we went through times where we had to do it on our own. And it is so frightening when you've been successful in isolation to be successful in community. And so, Lord, lead us to a place of repentance, to cry out in our brokenness that we need you. Lord, we need to identify those things in our life that are too weighty, that are too significant. And simply to turn and say, Lord... Jesus, you're not just the savior for my heavenly destiny. You are savior over my life, over my challenges, over my day. I want to trust in you. And Father, I pray for anyone today who's never cried out and said, Father, accept me through Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. Forgive me of my sins. Through his resurrection power, Holy Spirit, come into my life. I pray, Father, through the power of the Spirit, you would bring faith, renewal, and salvation. We love you, Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Thank you.